good morning. He is risen. Oh boy, oh boy, folks. I was told that would work. You guys not know what to do when someone says that? Bill, you want to help us out? He is risen. Amen. He is risen indeed. I think that's the response, but anyway, hey, amen is just as good. We are here today to um, celebrate um, that Jesus is alive. Uh, we as his church are an uh, example of his power over death. And that by us being here today, thousands or 2,000 years and so later after the resurrection, and we still um, live out the same power that those early disciples had, the same Holy Spirit working in us, the same authority that is in the name of Jesus that they had back then, I think that is clear evidence that Jesus is alive and that he did not stay dead, that it was not some hoax, they did not steal his body, it was not some sort of scheme. Nope, all of the accusations and all of the efforts that were made back then already to disguise his resurrection to be something other than what it actually was um, were false, and I think it is so beautiful that, you know, 2,000 years later, we are here celebrating, and that is what Easter is about. Um, if you do, um, like we did on Good Friday, if you do a search about Easter on Google or anywhere else, <clears throat> our cultures around the world have done their absolute best to try to make it something different, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, and I'm not in any way trying to you know, to say anything negative about, you know, uh, some of the traditions that maybe you have as a family. And so I'll talk a little bit about that. But, you know, the day that we celebrate today is a day when Jesus rose. And like I said, many, many people have tried in different ways to celebrate. And they, you know, have brought in different traditions and different methods. And, and I think some of those are good. But we have to be very careful, like with other seasons, that we don't allow um, modern day ways of possibly doing things to rob us of this beautiful day. Uh, as a Christian, one believes in the bod bodily resurrection of Jesus, and it is interesting to watch how our culture wants to make it something other than that it, that it is. So like I said, if you go on the internet and you search Easter, you'll find all kinds of Easter sales and and, you know, Easter Bunny stuff and all of that fun stuff that's out there. But we want to make sure that we never forget the true meaning behind Easter. The world around us is unaware of the significance of this day, is unaware of the significance of what happened, is, is unaware or maybe even wants to remain ignorant of what has been accomplished for us. And so we celebrate by doing these different things, but we never want to forget that ultimately this day is about the eternal significance that happened when Jesus gave up his ghost and he paid for our sins on the cross, but then three days later, he rose from the dead. And so I'm curious, it's a show of hands, and those of you watching online, I don't know, you'll have to, you'll have to do something just to show that you're, you're with us, but how many of you have some unique way of celebrating Easter, like something that you do as a family? Don't be shy now. You're all like, you're going to rip on it? No, I'm not going to rip on it. We, we like do like different baking and different uh, dressings that I don't even know. Maria's going to be ashamed now that I don't know the name of this stuff. It's a special bread that you have to braid, and, and it's an Easter bread. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Okay, thank you. Um, and so we have these different ways of celebrating, and I think they're awesome. Um, I, I grew up in a family of, of uh, six kids, and my parents had this tradition, and I'm, gonna, my, I'm looking around for my parents. They're in the second service, so good. Um, I'll tell it now. But my parents had this habit of buying us all Easter bunnies, the, not like real ones, the chocolate ones. And uh, now the interesting thing was you, you, sorry, Mom, you're not here, but um, so we had five boys, six kids all together, and they would buy us these Easter bunnies, and you would think that they would just be these little chocolate ones about this big. No way. From the pulpit, they were, you know, Easter bunnies, like real ones, you know, like the big, heavy-duty, and, you know, and they're chubby, chubby things, like not the little, you know, not little ones. You know, they were, they were the big ones and full. Like, it wasn't the kind you cracked open. It was all hollow on the inside, you know. And so I wonder sometimes where the, where the mindset was of my parents when they started this because, did I say five boys? Okay, five boys in the house. By the time you had finished an ear, one ear, you already had more sugar in you than you probably should for the week. And I can tell you right now, other than one of my brothers, most of us downed that ear within just a few minutes. We were just, we grazed on that thing, or we just, you know, sorry, my, my one brother grazed on it like a rabbit. The rest of us, we just went to town on it like wolves, you know, just give me that ear, give me that, that bunny. And so within a little while, we had downed most of these bunnies. And so you can imagine the crazy energy that happened. Now, that poor brother of mine that would like to gently graze at his and, and tuck it away and save it for another day, would often find himself coming back to that Easter bunny, hoping to enjoy the rest of it, only to see teeth marks in it because someone had already finished theirs and had now gone to town on his. So those were just one of the things that my parents did. And we've, we've over the years developed, you know, where we do Easter egg hunts and, and we'll hide them and you know how this is. My parents live on a, on a close to an acre of land. And, and so now, especially that they have more grandkids. And so you go and you hide all these Easter eggs. And I don't know if this happens to you guys, but when you go hide them and you put them all away, and then they start looking for them, and you know there should be, let's say, 10 per child. And now all of a sudden, every child's only got about seven of them. And, and you're like, well, let's go look. Where did exactly did we hide these things? And so now you're out looking, and my, my dad will always tell me, in the summertime when he cuts the grass, that's when he finds the rest of them, because all of a sudden the more will just be like, there it is. So this is a tradition that we've kept up with our kids. Um, they're older now, but we still, even in our tiny yard in, our, in, our home, um, in, in town by our house, we still like to go and hide Easter eggs. And, and, you know, and we've got a 20-year-old already, and we're still forcing him to go out there and go find the Easter eggs, you know. And so he's out there looking for them. And, and last year we had a pretty depressing moment because even in our tiny yard, all of a sudden I'm like, how could I not have put out, you know, enough? Or how is it that I, you know, that we're not finding them? Because they're like, okay, like, I don't have very many eggs and what's going on here? And so we started investigating. And we figured because I'd hidden some in the front yards, maybe some of our neighbor people were watching. And they're like, go get them, kids. You know, and they send their kids over to our house to go get the Easter eggs. But that wasn't the case. We, we did quite a bit of investigating, and all of a sudden we, just found, we discovered the scoundrel that had done what, you know, the, that had robbed us, and it was a squirrel. And the thing had actually unwrapped it very properly, left us the wrapping to clean up, and was sitting up on the tree chowing down on chocolate. I did not know squirrels like chocolate, but they do. 
here's what I want to say to us. Obviously, I'm not against and I'm not speaking against some of these traditions that we have, some of these ways of celebrating. But here's what we need to start with and where I want us to stay with is that these ways of celebrating are, I think, are fine. I think they're good to, to celebrate Easter, but they can never become what Easter is. And so all of the Easter bunnies and all of the eggs and all of the fun and all of that stuff is not what Easter is. Easter is the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we're here to celebrate today. And so as followers of Jesus, it is absolutely important that we do not allow the meaning of this day to be diminished in any way. We cannot allow the meaning of this day to become something else. To the con contrary, this day, like Christmas and others, is a unique opportunity for us to discuss the significance of Easter with our friends and with our families and with our children especially to talk about and to go back to and spend time with and to look at what is it that Easter is? What happened on Easter Sunday? What is the significance of this day? And maybe even in this time to examine our own hearts and to be um, grateful for the sacrifice and the, and the, the power of the Holy Spirit to, to raise Jesus from the dead. I don't know if you've ever read the Creed of Nicaea. It was written in June, on June 19, 325 A.D. And this is uh, what I'm going to read to us today is just a translated version of it. It was written, you know, obviously not in English, not its original language. But I want to read this to you because this would be a creed that many, you know, churches and denominations would hold to. And it says this. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. So that's the Father. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnated by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scripture. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. So that's the Son. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sin. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Now when the Nicene Creed was written, there's a long history behind it. We won't get into it. But what they did is this large group of people gathered 
And they wanted to make sure that they could clarify what their belief was. That they would be able to clarify what they believed as a church. And, and as you know, Constantine was involved in all of this. And he wanted to make sure that there was a statement that would best capture what the church believed about God. God the Father, about God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think it's important for us as a church today to, to use statements like this and to use our confession of faith and, and to use, obviously, our scripture to remind ourselves what is it that we believe about this day. Because we are in competition to some degree with culture and with all kinds of things. It could even be our own traditions and our own history and our own heritage. We are in competition sometimes to make this day something else. And so what we want to do today is we want to remind ourselves that Scripture is very clear that the reason for this day, the reason we celebrate is that Jesus is alive, that Jesus rose. Scripture tells us that the reason Jesus went to the cross was to pay for our sins. His resurrection assures us as his ultimate victory and our ultimate victory over death. Simply put, Jesus died so that we could experience eternal life. We must never forget that. He rose so that we could also live with him forever. If Jesus is alive, we can have life in him. That is ultimately what Easter is about. It's about having or it's about coming you know, to this place where we can recognize that our sins are forgiven. That there's nothing left to do. It's about, you know, coming to this place where we can understand that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that Jesus has the power to forgive us. It's about recognizing that nothing can save us except for what Jesus has already done. And it's about recogni the recognition that we must accept him in order to be forgiven for our sins. That we must place our lives into his, that we must surrender ourselves to him. Because he is the one who died and he is the one who rose. That is what it means for us to be saved. That we can only be saved through Jesus. So Easter is a time then to celebrate. To celebrate this new life that we have in Jesus because of the resurrection. But it's also a time for us to reflect upon what this resurrection means to us. This is not just a historical event. This is not just something that happened long in the past and, and we're grateful that it happened and we're acknowledging that it happened and we, we know that it happened we're glad it happened. This is about us recognizing what does this mean for me? If there is freedom, then how am I free? And we'll look at that a little bit more later. So Easter is a time for us to celebrate something that was accomplished for us that we could never have accomplished on our on our own. It's about celebrating because we know that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose, and that our lives can be changed forever. So we celebrate Easter, the resurrection, not merely as this event in the past, but we celebrate it today. And I hope that you are experiencing this for yourself, that you are celebrating this today, recognizing that Jesus knows you, and he loves you, and he wants you to have a personal relationship with him. And that everything that is needed for that to be possible has been accomplished. So we want to look today at John chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 20. 
all four Gospels write about the resurrection. Um, all four Gospels uh, talk about it in detail. And so I want to read um, for us today from the Gospel of John. And John tells it maybe a little bit different, but I think it's a beautiful picture of what happened that day. John chapter 20, we'll start in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Verse 3, so that this Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and he believed. They did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now this is an interesting account, and, and we can spend a lot of time looking and talking about how one disciple could outrun the other disciple and, and how the disciple that was a slower runner seemed to be braver and was able to go in and, and you know, and was willing to, to you know, go inside before the faster disciple and all of those things. But I think what we want to do today is recognize what happened to these two men when they reached the tomb. Something amazing happened. And I think it's important for us to see it because at the same time, we have to recognize that there's probably some of this going to be happening to us when we think about the Easter account. So as I said, this is one account. This is John's account. A common theme, though, when you read through all of the Gospels' accounts of the, this, uh, of the resurrection is this, shock and disbelief. There seems to be a moment for these disciples where they simply cannot believe what has happened. There's a sense of shock. There's this sense of like, you know, what is going on and what has taken place. And, and then there's, and multiply that with disbelief. It's, it's like they cannot believe that this has actually happened. It is clear that none of these disciples, as I've said before, that none of these disciples truly believed that Jesus would rise from the dead. They didn't get that. They didn't believe that. And we know that because if they had, they would have all been lined up at the tomb on Easter Sunday to see this miracle take place for themselves. But none of them were there. And so one of the things that I think you and I may wrestle with at times is disbelief. Did it really happen? Did it really happen? You know, we, we know that Scripture says it, and, and we want to believe it. I, I think every single one of us here would say, I want to believe this with all my heart that Jesus rose from the dead. But sometimes... Like in this event, there are things that are going on in our world. There are things that are going on in our lives that, that we may cause ourselves or it may cause us to wrestle with, did this really happen? We might find ourselves like them looking in and seeing the evidence, but we're not experiencing it. We're not really 
aware of the power of it. We're, we're in this shock. We're in this disbelief. What does this mean for us? What does the resurrection really mean for us? I think all of us have moments in our lives when we may not truly understand or believe what happened here, what Jesus did. He rose from the dead. In verse 8, we see that they saw, and it says that they believed, but what's very clear is that believing did not mean understanding. Because we get this picture that these disciples, these two guys, they leave that tomb and they go back to the others. But we don't get a sense that there's a celebration, that there's a, there's a running back to tell people. There's, they're, they're in this almost a sense of frozen. They're, they're not really understanding the significance of what has taken place. And my hope for all of you today is that you will leave here not only having been reminded of the truth that Jesus rose and that you would, you would believe that, obviously, but I would love for you to leave here understanding the significance of what that means for you. And you're going to see in a little bit how once Mary understands, how she gets it, how it changes her. Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Now, I'll just pause there for a second. We don't know if she's already looked in or she just saw it open, you know, from a distance and then quickly, you know, went and told the disciples. But now we know for sure that she's looking inside and she's seeing this maybe for the first time herself. The body is not there. Verse 12. And saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And almost as if though she can't stand it any longer, she turns and looks away. And at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. And stop here for a moment. So Mary finds herself now alone at the tomb. The other disciples just kind of abandoned her and, and in their disbelief and, and in their shock and in their, you know, they know that the body's not there and, and they leave. And now also she is in disbelief. She is convinced, not that Jesus rose. She is convinced, not that Jesus is alive, but she is convinced herself now that someone has moved the body to a different location. And she doesn't know where it is. See, that's the thing with pain and shock, is it begins to force us in our minds, in our hearts. We begin to create alternative endings. We begin to create alternative understandings because our mind wants to understand what is going on. And so what Mary is doing here, she's, she's trying to figure it out. She's trying to reason, like, what has happened? And in her mind, she's like, the thing that has happened is someone has come in and moved the body. So all I need to do now is figure out where they've moved the body because in her mind at this moment, the only thing that matters is to discover the location of the body. She doesn't get it. She doesn't understand the significance of the empty tomb. Mary is grasping for a way to make sense 
of what is happening. Church, I am convinced that now more than ever, but I also know that in the past, many of you have had tragedies. Many of you have had things that have happened that, that don't make sense, that are incredibly painful. And you may find yourself today, whether you're here or watching, and you're trying to make sense of what is happening in your life. It doesn't make sense. There doesn't seem to be reasons for it. And maybe, like Mary, you're beginning to say, okay, well, maybe this and maybe this, and, and you're trying to piece it all together. And, 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 and when that, you know, when you're done that, it falls apart and that leaves you even more discouraged. And, and, and you know, you believe that God is God and you believe that God is love and He's all powerful, and yet this is happening in my life. And, and what I know about God and what I believe about God is not working in my situation right now. And you're trying to make sense of it. And that is what Mary is doing. She's just somehow, this, this has to make sense. This doesn't make sense. And, and she's trying to piece it together. Nothing is for Mary as she thought it would be. Verse 20, I mean, sorry, chapter 20, verse 15. She's now standing face to face with Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, because that's what she's forced herself to believe. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will go get him. Look at that again. If you've carried him away, why would he do that? If you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I'll go get him. I will fix this. I'll make this right. I'll resolve this. Because in her mind, the only thing that needs to happen is the body needs to be where it's supposed to be. She needs to be able to go there and do the, the proper things that she's been taught, and she needs to, for herself, she needs to go and anoint his body and do those things. And she's not able to understand what has taken place. And what's interesting here is that Jesus asks her the same question as the angels did. Why are you crying? Why are you crying? It's almost as if the angels and Jesus are saying, if you only knew the good news. If you only knew what had happened. If you only understood what is taking place. If you only understood the victory that you have. If she only knew why are you crying? I think it's safe to suggest this morning that sometimes, I know for myself it's true, that sometimes we live our lives as if Jesus hasn't risen. We live with the same fear. We may live with some of the same worldviews the same hopelessness. We may even live with the same short-term plan as those who don't know Christ. Think about it. How are you approaching your life differently today because you know that Jesus is alive? Your approach to life, how is it different because you know with absolute certainty 
that Jesus is alive right now. You know that your sins are forgiven. You know that your debt has been paid for. You know that you have freedom. How is our life this week evident, evidence of what Jesus has done? Or will we approach, or will our approach to life be in line with many of the people who are around us who don't believe it, who don't live according to God's truth? And I'm not being hard on Mary or on these disciples. You know, the reality is that we may have not acted any different. Just like, you know, them, we may have done the exact same thing. But the reality is this, that they were told, Jesus told them repeatedly that he was going to rise from the dead on the third day. And they were not there. It says something about them. But we're not here to be hard on them. But I think if they missed it, if they missed it, is it possible that when we read scripture and we read what God has done for us and when we read the promises, when we read the affirmation, when we read all of this truth, that we, like them, do not fully line our lives up with it. The question has been asked sometimes is, why were they not waiting? And I think that might be a bit harsh. But I want us to wrestle with this question. How would we have done things different? If we had heard that Jesus was going to rise from the dead on the third day, would we have been waiting for him at the tomb? So I want us to do a little experiment. I want us to do just an internal test, not an experiment, just an internal examination of our hearts. I want to read to you just some truth that we know that comes from the resurrection. And I want you just to see how you would respond in, in your own heart. So for example, we know that we have victory in Christ. Okay, what do you do with that? We know that we have victory in Christ. So are you living in defeat? We know that we have freedom in Christ. So are we living as if in bondage? We know that we have been commanded to love. Are we filled with love? We know that we have been promised eternal life. Are we holding on to the promises of this world? See, I think every single one of us needs to ask ourselves today, do we understand the significance of the resurrection? And is it evidence in our lives? Mary, thinking that Jesus was the gardener, asked him to, you know, to send her to where they had moved the body. She was convinced that this was going to resolve everything. But look at what Jesus does. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. What I love about this, and I hope this is something that speaks to you today, is that the connection here between Jesus and Mary is extremely personal. Jesus didn't send the angels to tell her. He didn't leave her in the garden to struggle on her own and, and find out with the rest of people. He didn't wait for her to, you know, be, you know, with other people where he makes one big, massive announcement. No, in that moment, when it was needed, Jesus spoke her name. And he helped her in a personal way to believe and to understand. 
And Mary's heart immediately responded. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it's a very well-known verse. We read this. That if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is, like I said, a, a pretty common verse, but I hope that you understand the meaning behind this verse. Here we need to be careful that we do not make surrendering Jesus, you know, pivotal about us just doing certain actions and saying certain words. Our lives need to be transformed. When we say that we believe that Jesus is alive, we need to allow that to change how we live, to influence the things that we do, that our lives are now led and guided by a risen Savior. So what does the resurrection mean for us? The resurrection, first and foremost, is an absolute affirmation that Jesus is who he said he was. He is the Son of God. He is the, the, the only one who can take away our sins. Jesus is who he said he was. He did what he came to do. He provided a way for us to be free from our sins, to be reconciled with God. It also verifies God's love for us. God wants to be reconciled. God is for us. He, he loved us to the, to the point where he went to the most extreme way possible to show his love. And the resurrection is an affirmation that God did not just send his son to death, but God sent his son to die so that we could have life. Because Jesus is alive. The resurrection is a declaration that salvation cannot be earned. His death was enough. And the resurrection is evidence of Christ's power over death, over sin. It cannot be gained. Salvation cannot be gained by our works or our good deeds. You cannot do enough to save yourself. You must give your life fully to Jesus who rose for you. Jesus has risen in order to accomplish for you what could not be accomplished in any other way. The resurrection is confirmation that whoever comes to Jesus can be saved. Jesus died not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So now back to us. What are we doing with this resurrection in our own lives? So I want to speak to those of you listening or here I guess you're all listening, sorry. Those online or here. If you've never given your life to Jesus, and you've convinced yourself, maybe like Mary, that there's something more that you need to do. There's something you got to sort out. You, you understand that Jesus loves you, and you understand that God loves you, and you understand that Jesus died and that he rose, and, and, and you, you know these things, you believe these things, but like Mary, you're trying to sort it out. You're trying to sort it out. What, okay, I need to maybe do this, and I need to maybe do this. Would you today just stop? Stop trying to sort it out. Stop trying to do it on your own. And at this very moment, just surrender. Just tell him that you need him. Just tell him that you accept and that you believe he is calling your name today. Whatever your name is, he is standing before you. And he's calling your name. Because he wants you 
He wants you to respond to him. If you've never made that decision before, I trust that you would do that right now. And just simply call out to him. Invite him into your heart. You can trust that he will fulfill your cry to him. That he will come into your heart. That he will save you no matter what sins, no matter what obstacles, no matter what barriers you think there may be. The resurrection is evidence and proof of the fact that all those barriers do not matter because Jesus has overcome every single one. Jesus had victory over all of them. Over whatever barrier you can present, whatever sin you can name, whatever thing you are ashamed of, whatever horrible thing you've done, however you have disqualified yourself through Christ, you are qualified because he has victory over every barrier that would keep you from having life in him. So we can come before God with confidence, knowing that if the Holy Spirit can raise Jesus from the dead, then our sins are forgiven. And we can have new life in him. And so we celebrate Easter today, not only in the, as an event in the past, but we celebrate Easter knowing, knowing that Jesus is alive, but hopefully now also understanding the significance of what that means for us. So I want you today, if you're online, it's always a little awkward doing this online, but I want you just today, like we did on Good Friday, I want us to just take a moment and just in silence, to just take a moment to reflect. Because I know what's going to happen. As soon as the sermon's over, we're off, we're running. There's things to do, there's meals to make, there's celebrations to have, there's, there's stuff to do. And you're going to be going again. So why don't we just take a moment right now and just right where you are, just in the silence of your own heart, just reflect and give God praise for what he has done and what the resurrection means to you. Let's take a moment in silent prayer. God, what a beautiful thing to just so peacefully sit here and reflect as a church on what you've done for us. Jesus, we say thank you for dying for us. And we celebrate that you are alive today. God, I pray for anyone in this place anyone listening 
that if they have somehow discounted themselves as, or seen themselves as not being worthy to receive this free gift, that right now they would recognize that you did this for them, that you died, that you rose, and that you are calling their name just like you called Mary's name. You want us all to be saved. So if there's anyone in this room or watching online, and they somehow convince themselves that this is not for you, would they at this moment just realize, and would they respond to you today? Lord, as our day goes now from here, and we go to our different things, and tomorrow and week starts up, and and we may feel like we're back at it. I pray that we would never forget, that we would never abandon, that we would never forsake the beauty and the significance of this resurrection. Thank you, God, for fulfilling your promise and accomplishing for us what could not have been accomplished in any other way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.